I want to talk to you again. We've been talking about faith, hope, and love, and I want to continue uh, today with love. And I want to talk about is love tolerant? Is love tolerant? Because we hear this word thrown around so much today. Tolerant and intolerant. Anybody heard that word lately? Oh, tolerant and intolerant. Well, we want to talk today about is love tolerant? Because if you've ever taken a Christian stand uh, for something, then you probably have been accused of being intolerant and bigoted and hateful and narrow-minded. And uh, so we want to look at this. We want to know what the Bible says is to be our response in this. If we get accused of that, how are we supposed to behave? And what does it mean for us to love our neighbor? Is love tolerant? That's, that's the question for today. And, and tolerant is this. Tolerant is willing to allow the existence of worldviews different than yours. And that's a good definition. And, that, that's a, uh, and, and a worldview is basically this. It's society's answers to questions about life. The way you look at life, the way you believe life works, uh, where do you come from is a worldview. Uh, you know, where, where, where were you created? Did you evolve from primordial soup? Uh, you know, uh, uh, all these things. Is there a difference between right or wrong? Or are there absolutes? Or are there not? Those are all worldviews in our society. And we're living in a day where there's tons of those. Tons of worldviews. And so how are we supposed to respond in that? Are we supposed to, you know, uh, uh, go against that? Are we supposed to allow it? Are we supposed to never have differing worldviews? And so what does the Bible say about this? Is there a difference between, you know, all these things? And so the, the, the even more fundamental worldview, the biggest worldview probably, is where are you going when you die? And how do you get there? would be one of the biggest fundamental, biggest worldviews that there is. So in this country, like I said, we have a, a soup of worldviews, a bunch of worldviews. And, and the word tolerant, as I said from the dictionary, is simply the willingness to allow the existence of worldviews different from yours. So, so there's nothing in that word that su suggests that you demand an agreement. I'm in agreement with that with that. Uh, with that definition of tolerance. That, that's right. It's a willingness. It's a willingness to allow the existence of worldviews. But what I want you to notice is missing from there because our society has added something to this definition. And the, what they've added is they've, add, they've, they've added that you have to, they've demanded that we agree with their worldview equally. And there's nowhere in this definition that says, it says we are to allow different worldviews, but there is nowhere in here where it says you have to agree on that worldview. And that's the problem. And I want you to hear me, every young person in here that goes to college, every young person that goes to public school, every young person in this room who's been taught this garbage, I want you to hear me today very clearly on what the Bible has to say about tolerance and intolerance and, 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 and about worldviews. So, so this is a very good definition. You ought to take notes and go home and look at it yourself. I'm not going to make you accept my worldview, but go home and look at it and see what it says. But I I will tell you this Bible is absolute truth and, and, and there's not one, not one lie in it. Uh, so, so the willingness to allow the existence of worldviews different from yours. There's nothing in that word that demands uh, an agreement. So, so uh, um, what, what that's basically saying is what God did for us. You're allowing people to have, um, uh, to think for themselves. 
And that's, that's the ultimate of love. You, you, you give people free choice. You allow them to think, did God not do that for us? Did He not allow us to make our own choice? He set before us life and death, now choose life. But He nowhere, uh, he nowhere uh, uh, demanded that we do that. He gave, to real love gives a choice. He didn't make us robots. He didn't make us slaves. He gave us the choice. And so He allowed us to think for ourselves. He put it out there and He basically told us the truth of the matter. If you choose choose life, you'll be blessed. If you choose uh, sin, you will be cursed and you will be destroyed. And one day you'll wind up in hellfire. So he gave us, but he still said the choice is yours. It's yours to make. And so, so he did that. And so we have all kind of worldviews and look, it's okay for people to believe those. It's okay for people to hold on to those. It's okay for people to preach those even, but it's not okay. It, and it's okay for us to allow them to make that choice, but it's not okay for them to say, we got to agree equally with all of these. That they're all equal because that's where we're going to find out in a moment that the Bible draws the line. So if tolerant means a willingness to listen to those, those views, then intolerant means unwilling to allow the existence of worldviews different from yours, right? It means unwilling to allow the existence. Everybody should see the world one way and what? That should be my way. Come on, right? That, that, that's, that's intolerant. And, 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 and so our culture at large throws these words around. And here's what they do, sadly, young people. This is what they've done to, to all of us and, and older people like they've, they've hit us all. Uh, our, our culture throws these words around and they attach the idea of loving versus hateful. Loving versus hateful. And, 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 and that, you know, if you're a tolerant person, then you're loving, you're kind, you're nice, you're agreeable with everything. And if you're an intolerant person, then you're hateful, you're bigoted, and you see the world from a very narrow-minded view. And so that's what they've done. And so it's going to earn you the, toler- the title of intolerant. So the question is, is this true? Are we commanded to be tolerant or intolerant? And how are we supposed to view other perspectives? Should we allow other perspectives? besides Christianity to exist? How do we show, uh, more importantly, that we are loving people and at times uh, 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 have to oppose that thinking, that unbiblical thinking? How do we love them and oppose that thinking at the same time? So here, if tolerance is as the definition of to allow something to exist, then Christianity is actually the greatest model of tolerance. What we are accused of is absolutely a lie. If, hear me again, if tolerance is the definition of allowing something to exist, then Christians, uh, a willingness to allow something to exist, then Christians are actually the models of tolerance because Christianity is not about eliminating other worldviews or eliminating the people that hold them. We're not out there wanting to eliminate Islam. We're not out there wanting to eliminate people in Buddhist cultures. We're not out there wanting to kill the people. We're not out there wanting to, we want to take our gospel to the four corners of the earth and we want to love them and present Christ to them and have Christ convict their hearts so much so that they see their sin, that they see the way they're living is wrong and that they turn to God with all of their heart and receive the gospel and into their life and become our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. However, we don't force that on anybody. We don't go in with a sword and hold it to their neck and say, receive Christ or else. 
We're going to cut your throat. We don't, we don't, we just don't do that. That's not what the Bible, that's not what Christ did. That's not what the Bible tells us. In fact, Christianity is not about eliminating those worldviews that people hold. Jesus said in John 18, 36, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. If my kingdom was of this world, we'd come with sword. I'd have let Peter grab that sword and cut off more than the ear of the, uh, of the uh, soldier there at the cross. But he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And so we don't wrestle and fight with flesh and blood. But he said, we fight principalities and powers. This is what he says in Ephesians 6 verse 12. We do not make war against flesh and blood. And we got a lot of Christians today that want to fight each other with flesh and blood. They, they literally with their mouths and their tongues and their hearts and their and, and just we want to we want to fight trying to change people with the world's methods rather than with what Christ gave us to to arm ourselves with the uh, that we're fighting principalities and we're fighting powers and we're we're fighting spiritual forces out there. We're not going to we're not going to defeat these things on our own. We're not going to defeat drugs by educating more. We're not going to defeat all these things by throwing more money at the problems. These are spiritual problems and they're huge problems that we've got to we've got to come at and we got to wrestle in the in the spiritual uh, battles on our knees and and with the with the sword of the spirit which is the word of God so so that means our fight is not with people but with spiritual powers of darkness that are trying to hold people captivated by sin we do not believe that we coerce people into following Jesus we do not believe that we can force people into believing the gospel this is a free choice that God gives people the privilege of making. You show them who Jesus is, they get convicted by the beauty of Christ, they, they, they let go of their sin, and they give their life to Him. We don't believe also that laws can change the heart. We're making so many laws in this nation that are absolutely ridiculous. More laws upon more laws upon more laws upon more laws. And the humor of all that is you cannot legislate morality. So we make this a hate crime. We make that a hate crime. If you got hate in your heart, uh, making another law is not going to make uh, you stop hating someone. Right? In fact, sometimes it's going to make matters worse. According to what we've studied in Romans, is that uh, uh, when the law came, it really made sin revive. I mean, try to like right when you make a law and you say, uh, "I'm going on a diet and I'm eating no more donuts," and then they bring donuts to work. And I mean, you can smell the donut through the thing and you can see the donut in your mind and you want the donut more than life itself, right? Because actually it, it revives sin in you. It, it just literally, it called that law, I'm not going to do this, caused you to want that thing even more. And so sometimes the laws we make, I'm not saying we don't need laws, we need laws. That's why they're there. For, for, but, 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 uh, but, but the problem is that's not all that's going to curb the problems inside the heart. You can't legislate it out, you preach it out. You preach it out. You preach the right gospel. The problem is we're not preaching the right messages in our church. We're not preaching the cross. We're not preaching the blood. We're not preaching the denial of sin and self. We're putting self on the throne rather than God on the throne. And we're preaching these self-based messages where, hey, hey, you're the head and you're not the tail. And God wants you prosperous and God wants you blessed. And it just keeps elevating the self up onto the throne. And people say, preach on, brother. Revival's breaking out. Yeah, preach it again, man, because they love it because it's all about them. That's right. right? But when you preach 
hate your father and your mother and your sister and brother more than me. Ooh, we didn't come to hear that. Any man that won't deny himself and take up his cross and follow me is not worthy to be my disciple. Oh, brother, we need a new preacher. You know, and, and, and so, uh, so you, you preach it out. You, you, can force a Christian you can force a Christian perspective on things, but that doesn't guarantee the hearts are going to change. If the gospel is about coercion, then it's not the kingdom of Christ. His kingdom is not of this world, and you don't advance it by fighting earthly standards. You advance it by cutting off the television, falling down, quit fighting about CNN and Fox News, and do something about it in the spirit realm. Get down on your knees and start praying to Almighty God Get out in your work and start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Start loving somebody the way the book says and we'll see change in this nation. Start walking in the light as He is in the light, fellowshipping with one another and the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Start quit fighting against the Baptists and the Methodists and start loving them because they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he says he will command his blessing down upon the people that have unity. But you fight against unity. And you're fighting against God. And you're going to answer to him one day. You're going to look him in the eyes and say, I fought against you. I fought against your people. I fought against your image bearers. And I caused problems. And he ain't going to be happy about it. Because it says where, that's why you, I've been telling about Francis Chan. Francis Chan, you want to know why Francis Chan said, he said, I don't understand everything that just happened. He, he's moving his family all the way to Asia. You want to talk about a guy that obeys God. It just dies. It just dies daily. God had a mega church. Said this said, I just not sat this. I read the Bible and he just said, I'm giving it up. I can't can't do this. Went in the streets of San Francisco, started preaching, raising up churches. Then he goes over and starts preaching in villages that have never heard the gospel. He says, Honey, this is the greatest thing in the world. We're on the plane home, says, why don't we just pack everything up and just move to Asia and just go telling the people in the world the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're doing it right now. He went over to a village, started laying. He said, I laid hands on children and every person in that village got healed. He said, you got to understand, I came from a Baptist background. I came from a background. And I didn't, didn't mean to name what background he came from, but he came from a background where people told him, you know, he began to uh, say that just, I started reading the word of God. I took it literal, but he said then, you know, it could have been any background. It could have been Methodist, could have been Church of God. It could have been anything. But he had people around him that began to say uh, certain things. Well, I don't know. That might have not happened today. And when it says this, don't, you know, this and this. And he said he allowed these ideas. And he said, all I know is that day. He said, I just felt that gee, if, if the Father is in me and I'm in the Father, and, and if, if we're in Christ and Christ is in us, he said, I felt Jesus walking in with me into that village. And I felt him say, 
I thought I started to say, Jesus, if you were coming into this village for the first time and they've never heard the gospel, what would you do? And he said, you know, he said you would preach the gospel to them and they would be saved. And Jesus, if you came in here and there were kids with deaf ears, what would you do? You would heal them. And he said, everybody in that village, he said, my faith just soared throughout the roof and all my theology left. And he said, but here's the kicker of what I could not understand or believe when I got home and I just had to process it. He said, there were people with me there that believed differently than I. Different denominations, different. We were working together and he said, we were not arguing. And he said, when the Spirit of God came, he said, I'm convinced that it was Psalms 133 that caused the miracles to happen. That we're the, when the brethren began to dwell together in unity, there I command my blessing down upon them. I love to bless unity. I died so that the fragmented world that hates each other, that, that, that despises each other, that cuts each other, that, 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 that picks apart each other. I died so that world could come together and be one, Father, as we are one. And when my church begins, he prayed it in John 17 before he left. Oh, Father, oh, Father, if I could ask one thing of you, please make them one. If there's one more prayer I have for you before I go, Father, please make them one. As we are one. Oh God, please. Please, Father. If there's anything I want to see in my body and my bride and my church, oh Father, if you will make them one even as we are one. Oh God. Oh God. And that's his prayer. Go read John 17. That's exactly what he prayed. If you don't think God cares about this matter, he cares deeply about this matter. So right now, the dictionary definition and the people of this world are not lining up. Because right now, the word tolerance is not the willingness to allow, but it's the willingness to agree. And it's the willingness to regard as equal worldviews different from ours. And we cannot agree when our king does not allow us to agree. Do you hear me? We cannot agree with your worldview if it's different than a biblical worldview when, it, when our king has a, a different thing to say on that matter. It didn't mean I wouldn't, I'm not willing to hear them and allow theirs to remain. I'm just not willing to say yours is equal to mine. And, and, and so, so, so uh, that, listen to a quote by a lady she said, uh, that wrote a book. She said, an author may say something like, it's not loving to be intolerant. That sounds good on the surface, but what does he mean by loving and what does it mean, he mean by tolerant? Does tolerant mean to accept all behaviors and beliefs as equal? Or does it mean being capable of treating someone with kindness and human dignity despite not accepting that person's belief to be true or his behavior to be godly? If the author means the first one, then I disagree with the statement. It's not loving to be enabling. Uh, and so, so uh, if, if you see somebody's lifestyle, they're engaging in sin, they're engaging in something that's not of this book, and it's destructive, because you love them, you will love them enough to tell them what they are doing is wrong. Amen? Uh, so not all worldviews are equal. Not all truths are true. Not all opinions are valid. We are not hateful because we are disapproving. 
And that's what they've convinced a lot of us in our hearts and minds, especially, uh, oh, you're so hating, you're so mean. You know, if we disagree uh, with that, we, we can disagree and disapprove of a person's choices or beliefs without hating them. And we're having a hard time with that in America. We're having a very hard time with that in this world now of letting people have opinions and still loving them and respecting them as image bearers of God. And we are commanded to do that, not to come down with the same hate and the same vengeance and the same vehemence that they have, we are to love them and we are to, to respect them as, as God's people. Amen? Or, or they may not even be people of God as far as children of God, but they were created by God. And God wants them to be saved. Amen? And so you, if you can't treat, listen to this statement, if you can't treat sinners with kindness, then please don't go out evangelizing alone. Please. If you can't treat people with kindness, then you don't need to go out alone and wreck God's plan. You need to take somebody with you that will have some wisdom and curb you back. Because we're not out there to treat people uh, horrifically and mean. We, 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 we go out and give compassion of Christ and see people as beautiful and see people as valuable. And our culture, culture says if we disagree, then we're intolerant. Uh, and, 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 and that's just not true. Uh, and here's what they do often. 1 Peter 3.15. Be turning in your Bibles to Matthew 22. And we're going to close in a minute. 1 Peter 3. 15. It says, always be ready to give an answer and a defense for the hope that is in you, but with meekness and fear. Always be ready to give an answer and a defense even, but with meekness and with fear. Why? Because, because if you do it with the same level of anger they have, then they're going to say, aha, we're right. We're right. You don't love people. You don't love people. And, and they're going to call us out on that and they're going to know we're of the same spirit that they are. And so we love you, but, but because we love you, uh, we're saying what must, needs to be said. And it's according to the Word of God. Let's go to Matthew 22 and let's really nail this point home and see the context of the way Jesus tells us to love and then the order. There's a very important order right here that you need to see and the world has reversed this. Listen to what he says in Matthew 22, 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he was silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He said unto them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest... And first commandment and the second is in the province. So Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? Singular. Jesus gives him his bang for his butt like I did to you today. He gives two for one. And he gives, rather than one answer, he gives two commandments. And here's what he says. And what he's showing us is that our love must be in two directions. It must go vertically and it must go horizontally. It goes vertically, goes horizontally. And that's what he's trying to tell us. He's saying that if you say you love God and yet you hate your fellow man, you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. You cannot love God and hate His image bearers. You just absolutely can't. If you, if you were, are to love God, then we must also love neighbor as ourselves. And He joins these two commandments together. And He says, uh, in other words, loving people is as important as you see loving your God. Loving people is as important as you see loving your God. And let me put it a step further for all you married people who love this verse for marriage, but I now love it for the Scriptures as well. What God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. You cannot separate loving God and loving His people. You cannot do it. Don't, don't separate what He joined together. Do not try to tell me you can love God, but then not have anything to do with people. 
I can love God, but I don't have to love the church. Hogwash. Hogwash. You're on a road by yourself. Well, it's just me and Jesus. Well, you're on your own, brother, because Jesus is on a different road. I'm serious, folks. I'm serious. I've been there and I've wanted to be that. It's you and your bitterness, not God. It's you and your bitterness. That ain't God. And quit masking it in God. Love is paramount in our witness, but does not mean that we accept, accept everything that our, uh, that our neighbor does. No, that's what the world wants us to do. And how can you say you love somebody if you don't accept them? That's what they begin to say. And, and will, you do, will you accept uh, people as dignified image bearers? Jesus tells us to love, and then He tells us how to love uh, in, this, in this command. So I want us to look at something here. Look at the uh, second point. Jesus not not only tells us to love, but he tells us how to love in this passage of Scripture. And here's what he says. He quotes two places in the Bible. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, the Shema. Uh, he, he tells us, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. He's unique. There's no one like Him. And you will love Him with your entire being. So we love God by letting Him rule ourselves is what God is saying. We love God by loving Him with our entire being, not holding anything back. We, now, we're not going to reach absolute surrender on this side of heaven. It's a progression, but He rules our actions. He rules our words. He rules our affections. He rules our thinking, and everything belongs to Him. And He says, this is the first and great commandment, and the second one is like it. And He quotes a passage in Leviticus 19. He says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now we love two or three elements of this, but there's one I don't think we totally love, and it's the one that's the most important part today. It's this. We, we, we don't mind loving our neighbor by, by not hating anyone. We all will agree and say, well, we don't need to hate anyone and we don't need to do that So God. We don't want to become bitter and unforgiving, so help us not to do that. Our society will even agree with that. Do not let yourself become vengeful. Uh, do not bear a grudge. Give out forgiveness. Our society will even agree with that. We love reconciliation. That's all our, our society wants to talk about, being reconciled. And all you need is love. Nah, 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 nah. Right? That's a, we, we all want that kind of thing. And, and uh, don't act like you never listen to that stuff. You know, and, and uh, but, but, but in the middle of verse 17, it says, you shall rebuke your neighbor. Why? So that you don't bear sin with them. The idea here is that if you really, really love your neighbor and you see them going down a path of destruction, you will love them enough to stop them. Well, my religion is private. My faith is just, you know, it's to be private between me and God. And, you know, I don't want to impose my beliefs on them. And none, and none, and none, and none. I'm thinking, you don't read your Bible. And you're not led by the Spirit. Because everything that the Bible says goes against that train of thought because we are commanded to love our neighbor and we are commanded when we see people doing wrong and when we see people that are not living the right way, we have an obligation to tell those people that the definition that you have for marriage is not right. That the Bible and the God of Christianity has something different to say. We love you. We, we, we hear your opinion. We, but we don't agree with it equally. 
Can I get an amen? amen. Right? Right? And, and so that's the context that, that, that we, if we see somebody going towards destruction, we stop them. We stop people. If they're in a relationship with somebody and they're living with them outside of marriage and they're doing things that are against the Word of God and the commandments of God and a biblical worldview, then we take them aside. We don't embarrass them. We don't shame them. We just take them aside. And do you say, do you understand what you're doing goes against what the Word of God tells us to do? And we take the Word of God to them. We go to them and say, if you continue down this path, it's going to lead to, to destruction. It's going to lead to problems. It's going to separate you from your relationship and your walk with God. So we have an obligation to go to people. And you know what? When you do that, and, you, and, you, and then people come back and say, well, what do we do? Well, you either marry or you break up the relationship. Oh, you're just so mean. Oh, you're just so mean. How can you tell? You don't have a right to tell anybody that. But, but we're to lovingly, I, I tell you, you don't love them then. You don't love them if you don't tell them. You don't love them. You think you love yourself. You love being liked. You love reputation. You love not being offended. Uh, and you love, and so, so we, if you lovingly address an unbiblical worldview, it is actually love. And the order of commands, this is real important, and I close, 12.02. Give you just a second. The order of the commands is critical because this, this is what this is the problem we're having because the world right now is in this mushy, we want to love type type thing today. And that's kind of changing because now I'm seeing authoritative dictatorship and iron fist and police state starting. It's getting it's kind of gonna change here soon. But but uh, and and but right now we have this great season of, of supposed tolerance and love. And and here's what they've done. They reversed the order of the of the, the 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 of the commands that Jesus told us right here. He puts it in deliberate order and he puts it in deliberate order so that we will know how to love our neighbor and how to correct our neighbor. And here's what he does. He he does it this way on purpose. He says uh, he does not say love your neighbor as yourself and then love the Lord your God with all your heart. He does not say that. He puts it in order deliberately because by loving God first and foremostly, it informs you how to love your neighbor. Okay? How, how, uh, you know how not to offend God now, so now you know how to love your neighbor. But see, we've reversed it, and we only care about not offending our neighbor, and we don't care how much we offend God. Oh, don't tell the people at work that uh, God's God, because you gotta, you gotta love them. God's love. And no, no, how about this? We love God first with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then out of that love, I know now how to love you. Not, I love you and do everything you want and tell you everything you want to hear and then bring that before God because what you've just done is take the Creator off the throne and said, I don't care what you think, God, I'm elevating this above what you think and this person's Lord, not you. And so loving God, look at the next point. So, so you truly love your neighbor by first loving God. That's the moral form, framework for how you love your neighbor. And then loving God first will determine how you love your neighbor. It tells you how to love those neighbors and how to talk to them. Then loving your neighbor first will determine how you love your God. Because God, uh, so, so now God is, is not the ruler, as I said, and you submit to the demands of people rather than the way God said to put Him first, give Him everything, and then you will know how to love people. 
And so we're to love them with boldness and courage, and we are to see that ourselves protected from this. So I know that was a lot, and I tried to cram in a lot, and I'm sorry, but I'm telling you, I know I delivered the Word of God today, and I know if you follow the commands of God on how to love right here, I know that you will be... Uh, um, uh, pleasing to the Father, and I know you will make an effect out in this world. So, Father, we love you, and we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your promises. And, Lord, we want to... We, we, is love tolerant, God? Well, in a sense, to hear willingness to accept other viewpoints, but not a willingness like society has changed it, not a willingness to agree with all viewpoints as equal. And so, Father, help us to love. Help us to love the way that you love. Help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to love our neighbor as ourselves, God. And help us to do what Leviticus there tells us when it breaks it down, where that verse came from. Even so much that we, we don't hold unforgiveness towards them, but also when we see a neighbor that's doing something contrary to the Word of God, that when we're supposed to speak about that, that we're not afraid to confront that. We're not afraid to love them enough to tell them that what they're doing doesn't, doesn't, uh, um, is not, um, it doesn't please the Father in heaven. And so, Lord, help us to be truthful with people. In love. In love, God. Help us to love you and, and out of that love to, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so, Father, uh, I just pray, God, in closing, that you would just baptize every person in this room, God, with that kind of love. Fill us afresh with the love of God. Fill us afresh with the love of God that will cause us to love you and surrender ourselves to you completely and totally. And then, Father, to, 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 to go out of here and to love our neighbor as ourself. And God, just help us to reach this world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that fear would not come into your people because you said in your word that perfect love cast out all fear. God, we're not going to panic at the things we see coming on this earth, God. They're right in line with what you said in your word was going to happen in the last days. And so, Father, we can stand confident. We can stand anchored in you, God. When we see these things, we can lift up our head. We can look up because we know our redemption is drawing near, God. When we begin to see these peace plans, God, we know that in your word, the Antichrist will come. And Lord, we know with peace, he'll destroy many. We know, God, that he'll make a covenant, God, with the people of Israel, and he'll break that covenant. God, we know he'll set himself up to be, God, uh, a, a ruler of the whole world, and God, proclaim himself literally to be God and demand worship. We know he'll institute a, a mark, God, in a hand or a forehead that will cause men to not to be able to buy or sell, God, without, without receiving that mark, God. It, it, we're in those days, God. We can see the technology. It's all around us. That could, be, that could happen tomorrow, God. They're already putting that in people in other parts of the world right now. God, it's just absolutely, you would have to just absolutely have your head in the sand and your eyes closed to not see, God, the, the handwriting on the wall. Lord, I'm like Cole. I don't know the day or, the, or, or that it's going to happen, but, but I don't know the hour. But I know, God, that I'm going to live in such a manner. God, 
always ready, watching and praying, being prepared, God, that at any moment you could come. And until then, I want to take this gospel and I want to preach it effectively. I want to, I, even now, God, more effectively. I want to hasten your coming by preaching it more diligently, Lord, and making sure that lost people, anyone out there who's, who's still yet to hear the gospel and respond accordingly, that God, that I'll be able to take this out to the highways and the byways and the hedges. And God, I want to be able to stand in this hour. God, in the hour of birth pains, in the hour of labor pains, God. I don't want to be afraid. I want to be like the sons of Issachar. I want to know the times and the seasons that are on us. I want to stand, oh God. I want to stand. I want, I want God, the Christ in me, to stand on the solid rock and people to come to me in this day and say, why do you have such a hope? Why is there such faith in your heart? Why is there such love in you? Why? Tell us why you're not losing your mind. Tell us why you're not afraid of the coronavirus. Tell us why you're not, you're not afraid of the stock market going up and down. Tell us why you're not afraid to go out into the streets and why you're not afraid to go out and publicly declare this and to be around people, God, and to, and to share the good news. And I'll be able to say, God, because to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And Lord, you've called me to preach no other message but Christ and Him crucified. And I'm going to do that faithfully until you come, God. I want to stand before you one day. I want this congregation to stand before you one day and to hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things and now I'm going to make you ruler over much. Oh God, entered into the joys of heaven. God, I'm wanting heaven now. I'm wanting heaven now. God, you can have this whole world. Give me Jesus. You can take this world. You can take my car. You can take my house. You can take my family. You can take my friends. Give me Jesus, oh God. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. I want to die with Jesus. I want to die with Jesus on my lips and I want to enter into eternal life with you, oh God. We love you. God, if we should have to endure persecution soon in the days ahead like Matthew 24, then give us the grace to stand. God, give the leaders of this church the grace to stand, to stand in imprisonment, to stand in death, to stand, God, in the marketplace where I work, to stand, oh God, and never cower down in fear, but to stand for Jesus Christ. Fill us with the Holy Ghost, Lord. Behold the threatenings that are going on outside this world now, that even in our Congress and even in our Senate and even now in our halls of justices are beginning to come against Christians. Now, God, even now, behold their threatenings and give us the power not to huddle down in our houses and to be afraid or in our church buildings and to be afraid and shaking. No, give us the power one more time to go out and stand before them. Stand before Congress. Stand before our presidents. Stand before leaders. Stand before people, uh, bosses and everywhere else. And Lord, to Proclaim the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah.